Thank you, Mark. If you have your Bibles, uh, today we're going to be in the book of Acts, if you'd like to turn there. And I appreciate um, Mark leading us today. Also good to have a lot of uh, good friends. We had a reception yesterday. Thank you for those of you who were able to come. And if you didn't get to sign the guest book, it'll be in the Welcome Center when you leave. But uh, I've had um, folks came for the reception yesterday from our first church in uh, North Alabama. Miss uh, uh, Cora Suggs. And then uh, we have four folks that came all the way from Kentucky, uh, Cedar Grove Baptist Church, where we served for five years, Bill and Wilma Sandifer and Bob and Brenda Matheny. Wilma was my uh, boss there at the church and uh, secretary, and Brenda also worked in the church. You guys raise your hands over here. And then Cora and her sister Mary. And then it was also good to have my brother and his wife, Danny and Kay Cox, and my sister, Linda Cockrell. Appreciate them being here. I think y'all have met them before. I've been titled a message today, uh, Interruptions. You know, we, uh, we interrupt this program to bring you this special announcement, right? Uh, we interrupt this program to test the emergency broadcast system. These are minor interruptions that can be annoying when they interrupt a movie or a Clemson ball game or something, right? That's probably more than annoying to some of you if that happens. But then in life, there are major life interruptions that sometimes threaten life and limb or alter what we thought life might be. That can happen to us at any age, any station in life. We have one of our choir members was with her son right now in Augusta who's trying to survive a horrible auto accident. He's been in a coma for a couple of weeks. He's slowly making improvement, but for a while his life was hanging in the balance. A big interruption. Sometimes mountains come up that seem impossible to move. So how do we keep singing? It is well with my soul when we face interruptions. And over time... We've talked about different aspects of our faith as believers to answer that question. And today, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture with me that normally that we don't look at for this type of instruction. But I think it's a great passage to look at that will hopefully give you a bit more perspective on how to continue with a measure of peace and joy when life's big, big interruptions come your way. And so we turn to Acts chapter 16, and I want to read verses 8 through 10 where we find Paul on his uh, second missionary journey. Acts 16, verses 8 through 10. Uh, The Bible um, says that um, Paul, beginning verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. During the past several weeks, we have spent some time off and on looking at this particular phase of Paul's life and ministry, and that is when the gospel left Asia and went into Europe. And we have uh, delved into 
some of the um, issues there at Philippi, which is the first place he ended up going to. But in this passage, as we're kind of around that same time frame of his life, I want you to see another component in his life that certainly would have strengthened him and would have given him the faith to be able to say what he said in that letter to the Philippians, which we'll come back to in a bit, when he said, I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. Could you say that about your life today? I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances. Paul often challenged new believers. He does it in various places on more than one occasion with these words. He would say, follow me as I follow after Jesus Christ. So he holds himself up as a model, an apostle, an example. Follow me as I follow after Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, we find a bit more in what Luke records for us about how Paul followed Jesus in that way. And we can learn from him. Now, in this passage, we find Paul on what could be called his second missionary journey. And so when we catch up with him, he has uh, been journeying for the second time across Asia Minor. He has visited, again, some of the churches he planted on his first missionary journey. And so now he continues to travel northwest in his uh, trek that he's making. And then it says, when he reaches, though, the border of Messiah... He and his companions try to make a hard right turn to the northeast to go into Bithynia, but the Bible says here that the Lord interrupts them and says no. Just as he had forbidden Paul to preach the gospel in Asia, that is in the the western province of Asia, which was part of Asia Minor, where Ephesus would have been, the Lord interrupts him. Now, two things we don't know here, and that is, one, how the Lord communicated this to him. When it says the door was shut and the Lord forbade him from preaching in Asia, we don't know how that was communicated to him. And then the second thing we don't know is how Paul processed this emotionally. Now, he's been trekking along pretty well. He's gone back to Lystra, some of these towns. Everything seems to be working well. He's making his way, and all of a sudden, it's like he's a ping-pong ball. And God says, you can't go here and you can't go there, and God interrupts his life in that particular way. So we don't know how he would have interpreted it or taken this emotionally, but he may have been disappointed to some degree because in his mind, it does seem that he is uh, wanting to go to a particular place. He wanted to go to the province of Asia. God said no. He desired to go to Bithynia, but that was a big no as well. So What we do know, though, is that nowhere else do we get a glimmer like this into the inner workings of Paul's life and his walk with Jesus. Doors shutting, doors opening, that kind of thing. We know nowhere else except one other place in uh, the letter to the Thessalonians. He says that uh, over and over I wanted to visit you, but he said Satan uh, hampered me. Satan interfered with me coming to see you. So there we see him dealing with another spiritual battle with the devil who would be under the authority of God. But that's another place where Paul talks about as he's trying to make his way in life, there are interruptions. So what do we need to see here? Well, it's important that we do not miss what we can glean from what Luke is communicating here to us today about our lives. So what do we see? Well, first of all, we see a man moving in faith, a faith movement. First, we find Paul here on the move in his life. He's not sitting still, right? This is a man on the move. He is walking. He's sometimes taking a boat to get around this part of the world. Now, why is he doing this? 
He is not from these parts, right? He is not from this part of the world. He is from the east, from uh, toward Jerusalem, where he grew up in Tarsus. He's, he's, far, he's not from here. He is a Jew who's become a follower of Jesus, and most of the people he is trying to reach here are not Jews. His message is strange to some of them, and it puts him in danger. I mean, if you go back to Acts chapter 14 and verse 9, the first time he came to Lystra, it was a wonderful experience for Paul when he went to Lystra and began to preach the gospel in Derby. If you look down in verse 19, it says that then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Now, that was a great experience, wasn't it? So his first trip was there. He gets stoned. They drag him out of the town and leave him for dead. He gets up and goes back into the town. He plants a church there. And so here's a man that's not from this region. His message is not always well received. He's reaching out to people who are not from his ethnic background. What's he doing? Why is he here? Well, he is doing all of this because from the time of his conversion, Jesus had given him direction that he was to carry the gospel as a missionary. And ultimately, that message was clarified for him, very particularly, that he was going to be a person who focused upon the Gentiles. And so if you read in Galatians chapter 2, he goes up to a visit in Jerusalem and he meets with the apostle Peter and some of the other leaders of the life of the early church. Paul's already been doing some of his missionary work about this time. He makes his way up there, corresponds about Acts 11 and 12. And when he's there in a discussion, he said they agreed that Peter and James, the half-brother of Jesus, those in Jerusalem would focus on reaching the Jews and Paul would focus upon reaching the Gentiles. And so that was his commission as he understood it. So here we, he's making his way and what he understands Jesus wants him to do. And so he goes to these towns. If there's a synagogue there, he goes to them first because that's the closest association with the Jews in the town. And then a lot of times that wasn't received well. And so then he would turn to the Gentiles and God began to save them. That's why he is where he is because he's been commissioned. That was the big template of his life. So every day, the Apostle Paul got up, and he sought to live out that template in faith. He was on the move, living and moving in faith, living out what he believed was the will of God for his life at that time. Now, my life, and probably your life, does not look exactly like Paul's. For one thing, for me, I married. He was not. Now, some people speculate that Paul may have been married at one time, maybe he was a widower, but in this instance, we know that he is not married. I live pretty much in one place. He did not. We don't speak the same language. As a matter of fact, my language was not even in existence at this time. There was no English language. He walked everywhere. I prefer to drive. We were educated differently. Well, you get the picture. He was in one sense uh, a different man in a different place and a different time. But while our lives do not look the same as followers of Jesus, there are aspects of our journey that are the same for all believers throughout all generations. Generally, as we grow up and become disciples of Jesus and begin to go through our life, our lives take on a general pattern, a template for us as well. And so as we move from childhood to adulthood, there's the decision of a mate who or if, right? There are decisions about education, about preparation, about the type of work that I will do. 
And in our culture, we have more options than most people have in the world. Uh, We really do, both now and in the past. Now, that's not true for other people in the world. They don't have as many options. I mean, how many parents in impoverished nations or in a desperate situation, living under despots, like, for instance, in North Korea, are able to say to their children, you know, whenever you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. We say that in our culture to kids sometimes, right? But a lot of the world, they don't live that way. If you lived in North Korea right now, you would never envision saying to your kid, you know, little Susie, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. They don't have the same options. And even here, it isn't always true that you can end up being what you want to be. But in our culture, there are more options and opportunities than most have. But eventually, all of us kind of fall into a a pattern of life. And as followers of Jesus, the one who said the very hairs of our head are numbered and your father knows your needs before you ever ask for them in prayer, we trust that somehow between the decisions we make, the circumstances that present themselves, and the sovereignty of God working in our lives, that we're living out in faith the template God has for us at the moment that God's chosen for you and for me. Now, sometimes we seem to have more control over those things, sometimes less. Sometimes people say to me, I I wanted to go to college, but back then my parents couldn't afford it. Or um, I wanted to go to college and started, I got married, and then life went a different direction. Or I wanted to do this with my life, but my health prevented me. I wanted to be a a pilot in uh, in the Air Force, but I didn't have the right eyesight for that. And so circumstances did not allow me to, to do that. Sometimes we, we do have more input and things kind of fall into place in that particular way. And so there's a tension in that. I think about the tension in the life of the early Christian slaves to whom Paul ministered and what he said to them. And that takes us back to our call to worship scripture today in 1 Corinthians 7, if you go back there for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 7 here, he's instructing these Christians generally about life. And he says in verse 17, he says that each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Do you see that? God had assigned a template to their life. Now, it didn't mean that they couldn't pray and try to change things sometimes. Because he says to the slaves in this passage, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Most of them could not. And so, God has that template as we try to follow him in obedience The circumstances come into play. His sovereign hand is at work. A general template begins to form in our lives, and we must see that as being something that God is involved in. That's what this text communicates. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation. Notice the Lord has assigned to them. Now, for most of these slaves, there will be no opportunity for change in daily life, and so they were to live in faith that that was God's assignment, And thus, as we saw before a few weeks ago, he told them how to approach their work in relationship to that. Do you remember what he said in Colossians chapter 3? If you would go over there for just a moment in verses uh, 22 through 24. He said, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And then that wonderful verse, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So that was the template of their lives. 
And like Paul's life, sometimes the template changes somewhat under the leadership of God, but most of us, we develop a pattern, right? That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. And we believe that that pattern, if we're being obedient Christians, grows up out of God's sovereign hand, the circumstances He allows to come to play in our lives, our responses to that. We believe the Lord is involved in that. And so, I think with the Apostle Paul, he got up every day to be a good missionary, And you and I, then, we're to get up every day trusting in the sovereign hand of God, being at work in our lives, and we live out that assignment. And we can do that at some level of peace, knowing that we have somehow arrived at where we are under the direction of the Lord. If we really believe that God is sovereign and involved in our lives, those words where Jesus says, the very hairs of your head are numbered, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, I'll take care of all of your other needs. Don't worry about all these other things, I'm involved in your life. If we really believe in that, then we can live out our lives in that template with some measure of peace and joy. And so we have those instructions generally for all of us as Christians, like we find in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 10 through 12, where Paul says to them, make it your ambition, writing to the general Christian community, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on everybody. So these are people living in Thessalonica. The template of their life is there to get up every day as disciples, work hard, live as Christ would have them to live to win the respect of outsiders. Or similarly in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, he He says to people who have been, before they were Christians, thieves. He says to them uh, in Ephesians 4, 28, he says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And so as Christians, we don't live in the past of what might have been. Some of you may be living in your life in that fashion right now. You're living in what might have been. But if you really believe in the sovereignty of God and you're seeking to be obedient to the Lord, you need to move out of what might have been to where you are right now and say, this is the template God has given to me for the moment. And I'm going to get up every day and live out that template in faith and serving the Lord Jesus Christ, whether anybody notices it or not, for the glory of, of, of the Lord. And so we don't live on the doldrums of the past, the doldrums of, oh, woe is me. We're to live in the present with the faith that the Lord is really with us in our lives. So we live along that pattern of Thomas Akempis that wrote in his book, The Imitation of Christ. He wrote these words. He said that uh, man proposes, but God disposes. And that grows up out of passages that we find in Proverbs. Have you ever noticed these uh, verses in Proverbs? If you go back to chapter 19, verse 21, and Proverbs 16, verse 9. In Proverbs 19, 21, The writer says, many are the plans in a person's heart. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And then Proverbs 16, verse 9, we see a similar sentiment about God's sovereign work in our lives, where the writer says that uh, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In other words, we're seeking to follow the Lord. He's in control. He wants us to plan and work hard, do the things we're to do under that template, but we must trust that He is sovereignly over our lives. And if you can really embrace that in your life, it'll really begin to give you a level of peace 
no matter what happens, that he is really involved and he's ordering the steps of your life. So that's why you need to keep moving in faith. No matter how you got to where you are right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, affirm these things. That he is sovereign. You're where you are, even if you've been involved in making bad decisions, ultimately. With our God, he is in charge of your life. And if you're seeking to be obedient to him now, he will help move you further into your life. And get moving. Keep moving in faith. The second thing we see with Paul here is that not only is he living out this template in his life, he's moving forward in faith. We also see that Paul rested in God's wise hands. Now in this instance, as Paul is going about his missionary life, making plans, seeking to take the gospel in a particular direction, that's his template, right? God seems to interrupt his plans. He won't let him go to Asia, he won't let him go to Bithynia. And so Paul's going along in his life, and all of a sudden he gets a curveball. You've gotten a curveball in life that he wasn't expecting. Now in this instance, it's about the general direction he is traveling and his assignment. His assignment doesn't change, but nevertheless, the Lord interrupts his plans. Now Paul has a lot of interruptions that take place in his life as he's seeking to be a good missionary. Just think about some of these that he went through. Beyond this, he faces getting thrown in jail on several occasions. He's beaten on several occasions. He gets shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. He apparently ends up with an eye ailment that he wants God to heal him from, and the Lord says no. He talks about coming to one town, and he says you would have given him your very eyes if you could. And that's why we see when Paul closes out his letters, he sometimes says, see what large letters I, I write with. So we think he may have had an eye ailment. He sometimes doesn't have enough food. He talks about it. He knows what it is to be hungry. He has people say he's not a very good preacher. Good in person, not a good preacher. But one thing we see in Paul as we follow in his footsteps is that he never stops moving forward, seeking to complete the assignment the Lord has given to him. How did he do that? We need to hear this. Paul had grown to the point of trusting the Lord so much that he did not believe in interruptions. And if you and I can come to the point of trusting the Lord to the degree that Paul did, we'll come to see that life doesn't have interruptions. That God is always in charge of everything that flows out into our lives. Now Paul was very human. I don't think he arrived at this point overnight in his life. But eventually he got to that point where he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 4, which I alluded to earlier in verses 11 through 13 when he said this. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have, notice he says, I have learned. You see that? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But notice he says he had learned this. It was a process in his life. So here we see the Apostle Paul getting up every day, living out that template in faith. But he does that trusting in the wise hands of God. And so while circumstances changed for him at times, mountains arose, interruptions as the world sees them came, Paul grew to the point really of knowing and trusting Jesus was always with him, Jesus was always for him, and Jesus was always in control of his life. I think we fail really to believe how control 
or how much uh, control Jesus has in our lives. I mean, when God can say to you in Philippians chapter 1, through the Apostle Paul, he who began a good work in you shall carry it forth to the day of completion. Well, that lets us know that he is at work in our lives and he's going to finish what he started in our lives. And so Paul lived his life in that way. So he never backed up on the assignment he had been given nor the life that he had been given to live. He didn't sit around and complain about the circumstances. He didn't shrink back. He didn't lose hope. He just kept moving in faith. You see, not only did Paul not believe in interruptions, you remember he also said in the letter to the Corinthians, he talked about everything that he went through in his life as momentary light afflictions. He saw all the pressure in his life as momentary and light and the pressure it was placing upon him because he had this perspective in his life. He had a template Christ had given to him. He was living it out and he was trusting in the wise hands of God so there were no interruptions. There ultimately were no accidents. Paul was resting in his sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. Now I think Corey Ten Boom is a recent example of what Paul's life taught us long ago. And I say recent. Corey died in 1983. And because a a person's public shelf life is pretty short in our culture when they die, I try to mention her from time to time to keep her memory alive for the next generation to whom I speak because I think her story needs to be remembered. You can still buy her book, one of her books, The Hiding Place. She was made into a movie. You probably go somewhere and find it's probably on VHS. I don't know if it ever made it to the DVD era or if they've made it in that format. But if you don't know her story, Corey spent the latter part of her life traveling the world, often with Billy Graham, telling her story and reminding us of God's faithfulness. Until her 50s, she was a single woman. She never married. But until her 50s, she was a single woman living with her family in the Netherlands where her father was a watchmaker. And then came World War II and the scourge of the Nazis who invaded her land. A very huge curveball in her life. 50-something-year-old woman, Christian family, right? Living in the peaceful Netherlands. And all of a sudden, the dark scourge of the Nazis show up and they take over everything. And then her family realized what the Nazis were doing with the Jews and the Holocaust. And so her family began to hide Jews in their home, thus the hiding place. And eventually they were outed and arrested, an even bigger interruption. She was sent to the Ravensbrook concentration camp along with her sister Betsy. Her father was sent to prison. Betsy and her father would eventually both die at the hands of the Nazis in prison. But Corey survived and went to tell her story all around the world, as I said often with Billy Graham, about God's work in her life, the great work of the Lord and, and trusting in the Lord, of trusting when the mountain did not move for a long time and the light did not shine in a very dark place. She's the one who developed this acronym for the word faith. I shared it with you a couple of months ago. It's a wonderful acronym about what faith really is. Fantastic adventure in trusting Him. And that's how she lived. Fantastic adventure in trusting Him. And think about this. She and her sister in the vice grip of the Nazis, Ravensbrück concentration camp, don't know if they're going to live or die. Betsy's going to die. 
They have no freedom. Their home is gone. They're separated from their father. All that they had known beforehand was now a memory in their life. That's a big curveball, isn't it? That's a big mountain to grow up. So they had had this template in their life, living this peaceful life, and then all of a sudden, big curveball, big interruption. But you see, they did not see it as an interruption. They just saw the Lord had given them a new assignment and a new place with new people that needed to hear about Jesus Christ. And so they set themselves to keep living as godly Christian women in that context, to share the gospel with the women in that context. That was their heart. And they had just a a wonderful, wonderful impact. But one story from their time beautifully illustrates, I think, what Paul is showing us about his life when he is in jail, saying, I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. And to show us what fantastic adventuring and trusting God looks like, one story that grew up out of that is a beautiful one, and that is when uh, Betsy came to Corey one day and said, Corey, we need to give thanks to God for the lice. We mentioned lice in the beginning of the service. And so in the close quarters of the barracks, lice was everywhere, and Corey said, Betsy, you've gone too far this time. I'm not going to thank God for lice. And she said, oh, but Corey, the Bible tells us in everything, give thanks. But she said, I I still didn't want to give God thanks for the lice. But they ultimately did, and they trusted God's sovereign hand, and here's how God reconciled that to them in their minds. They wanted to reach the other women in their barracks with the message of the gospel. And they'd been holding Bible studies, which they weren't supposed to be doing Bible studies in there. But you know what? The guards didn't want to come into the barracks because there were what? Lice. And so the guards didn't come in. They had the lice, thanking God for the lice, and they kept sharing the gospel with the women in that very, very dark place. Well, that's really what it means to live how Paul's teaching us to live here. And that is that when I meet Jesus Christ, He really does have a plan for my life. And he may show me that in different ways over time, but it's going to fall into a general template. Sometimes He can redirect and change the whole template. Often He does not. My responsibility then is to get up every day and to live out that template the best I can for the glory of God. And then sometimes interruptions come as the world sees them, but I never see them as interruptions because He is sovereign in my life and He is at work in my life. And so I can get up and say, well, Lord, this is something new here on the horizon, right? It's pretty dark and ominous, but I know you and I trust you. And so I'm going to get up today and keep living by faith and trust you for this day in my life. And so Paul lived his life in that way. And then Finally, as Paul kept moving in light of this new reality, a shut door, an interruption in plans as the world would see it, he moved into a future with a new impact for the Lord. Basically, the gospel moved from Asia into Europe, and you and I are very thankful for that. But you know, with Paul, the plan was not just for gospel advance in his life. I'm a pastor, and I I want God to use me in teaching people the Word of God. But you know, I think God called me to be a pastor, not just so that I could teach people the Word of God, but because God saw the best way for me to turn this boy into what I want him to be is to put him in the grinder of being a pastor. Pastoring is a wonderful thing. I use the analogy of grinder because sometimes it can feel like a grinder. But I've 
grown probably in ways I would never have grown doing anything else. Just as you probably have grown in doing what you're doing in ways that you would never have grown any, way, any, any other way. I look at my marriage in that way. I have a wonderful marriage. But I want you to understand that I think marriage is not simply to glorify Christ and His church and Christ's faithfulness to His church, but it is also the way the Lord puts us together with somebody if we really prayerfully choose our mate and we're walking with that person to be another Christian in our lives, to help us in that process of sanctification as we rub on each other, right? And go through life together with all of its ups and its downs and its problems and us being sinners walking together in life. Now Paul, he saw this direction changed. He lived to see the future to a degree of his life of faith. It's not going to be easy. He's going to go to Philippi and get beat up and thrown in jail again. But the Lord worked through it in his life to make Paul into what he wanted him to be. And he worked through it in Paul's life to touch others. You and I may never see the full picture here of what God is doing as he moves us along in life. We may never see the impact to the other side in somebody else's life. Sometimes it may be centrally for us and that God is doing something in that situation as part of my growth and that's the biggest thing taking place right there. But one thing we do know for sure is that as we live in this way an eternal future is being built and impacted by events in time and our faithful response to them. And if we can live with this perspective then we can grow to be like Paul to be content in all circumstances knowing that the sovereign hand of God working our lives, works in such a way that there are no interruptions, only further developments. Do you understand? Always look at life now not as an interruption, but Lord, this is a further development of what you're doing in me and what you're doing through me. And if we can live in that particular way, as Corey reminded us from her life of faith, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. He can be trusted. Well, if we can live in that way, then we can sing the song that Mark sang for us this morning. Even if the mountains don't move, even if the problem doesn't go away, even if the interruption comes up as the world sees it, I can live in such a way of saying it is well with my soul. Can I not? Because I know I'm living out that template. He is sovereign and He's upholding me in my life and He's doing all of this to have a glorious impact both in me and in the world, and if we can live like that, we can be people who really walk in freedom. Maybe you're here today in your life, and you are at a point where you're living in the past, or you're stuck. Circumstances have come up in your life as an interruption and change the whole pattern of your life, and you're discouraged. I want you today to hear this message and this template that Paul lived by. He went through some horrible things. But because he had this perspective, he could say, I've learned to be content. And you can learn to say, even if the mountain doesn't move, I will trust him because he's upholding my life. And you need to get up today and begin to move into the future Christ has for you and quit being paralyzed by the past. Maybe you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And God has so orchestrated events in your life. He brought you into this room today. You may not have even wanted to be here. But He's brought you here today so that you could hear that there's a God who loves you. And He has a plan for your life. And His Son 
Jesus Christ lived a sinless life where you could not, died on the cross for your sins and mine, was punished in your place, was buried, he rose again. And God says, I offer to you eternal life. I'll forgive you of all of your sin. I'll come live within you through my spirit and begin to make you the person I intend for you to be if you will trust in my son. And God may have so worked in your life today to bring you to this point to impact your eternal future. Maybe he wants to impact your family through you. Maybe you're a young dad in here, a mother. And you need to give your life to Christ. And God wants to work through that, not just to impact you, but to impact your family. Maybe ripple out into many others in your family. Won't you trust Him today to be your Savior? And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, Pastor, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I created a lot of my mountains, created a lot of my own problems, messed up a lot of things. Do you believe God is still in control of my life? Listen, if you're here today and you exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, And bring all of your garbage, all of your failures to him. He's about saving sinners, isn't he? And he is a God who wants to take our lives from where we are and to move us forward. And even if you have messed up, and you can come to the Lord and say, I've really messed up. I've made a lot of my own mountains. I've created a lot of my own problems. But Lord, I want from this day to follow you. Maybe you're already a Christian. But I want to follow you in a fresh and new way. Our Lord says that His mercies are new, when? Every day. He says to come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help you in times of need. And God can take your mess and my mess in my life, and He can weave it into something beautiful. I want to close with a passage out of the book of Joel, if you go ahead and stand with me for our time of commitment. In the book of Joel, in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets God sends his people into exile because of their sin. He sends locusts to eat up their crops. He chastises them for their sin. They've created their own mountains, their own problems. But at the end of the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, he says in chapter 2 and verse 25, when when they've repented of their, their sin, God says to them, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. God sent the locust to discipline for their sin. But as they repented, God says, I have a way of taking all of that and putting it together in a way that I can restore you and bless you and make something beautiful out of it. So if you're discouraged today of saying you made your own messes in life, we all do. But the good news is we have a God who will restore if you're just willing, just willing to come to him in repentance. Father, we thank you for Paul's life that we can follow as he follows after you. Thank you, Lord, that he was, as he said, not disobedient to that heavenly vision, that template you gave to him. But he went forth being a missionary, trusting in your sovereign hand, undergirding him, even when big things that came up that redirected his steps, sometimes leaving him in prison, uh, battered and bloody. He trusted your sovereign hand at work and said, even in those times, this is an opportunity to advance the gospel. My mission is not hindered. So Lord, help us to 
willingly, freely seek your template in our life, what your will is for each of us, and to seek to follow it, whatever that may be. I pray you bless the people in this room in their daily work, in their daily lives. To know, Lord, if they're getting up and serving faithfully, that you're pleased in that, you're glorified in that, their work is dignified, encourage them in that way. If, Lord, some have come into situations where a curveball has been thrown to them, Lord, help them this day to affirm that they can trust you, that even out of this difficulty you're working somehow good, that they even this day could give thanks for the lice. And Father, I pray that you would just give us faith to keep walking into that future you have in which you're impacting us and others through us. Help us never to back up, never to give up, never to shrink back. Encourage hearts today, Lord, that may be in that Lord, dilemma to hear the wonderful message of your grace today and of your mercy. Now, Lord, accomplish what you want as we sing together for your glory, whether seen or unseen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.